0: In this section, we are closing the first act in Mark's three-part gospel. Mark's first eight chapters are dedicated to showing us who Jesus is. Mark narrates Jesus' baptism to introduce him as God's beloved son. Mark retells for us parables and recounts miracles to give us an action-packed glimpse of God's kingdom come to earth. He has made clear that God has come to rescue us, to confront and conquer evil, and to invite us to learn what it means to follow him. Mark has given us glimpses of our own hearts as we examine the mixed responses of men to God's Messiah, eventually leaving us to answer In the end of this section, who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Lord, remove from us distractions and spiritual blindness. Help us tonight to open our hearts to see who you are, Lord. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we begin, we're breaking in on a three-day event where 4,000 men with their families have come possibly from mixed backgrounds. Some even believe it mostly is a Gentile gathering, and they've gathered in an uninhabited and desolate place. They've come here to see Jesus. They have left behind their jobs, their homes, their routines. They have come just to see Jesus. He's been teaching for three long days, but they've obviously been captivated because they haven't even noticed the food is running out. This is what Mark wants us to know about this event. Jesus sees the people and he sees their need. He has moved toward them in compassion as he anticipates their need and the future demands of travel, home, and all that home entails. The reality of lost income, increased demands from a time away, the return to routines, and the challenge of reconciling what they have seen and heard with what they've previously known. Jesus also sees and anticipates the needs of our demanding lives, and he has moved toward us in compassion. This truth has been my rock as we have brought my mother home. To care for her in recent days. For Jesus, this is not an impersonal glimpse at a headline. These people have faces, and he takes action toward them as he shares his heart for the people with his disciples. These are the men that we have followed. They dropped everything to follow Jesus, They have seen Jesus feed the 5,000 and raise the dead, heal the sick. But today, they choose to look at their circumstances. A desolate place, not enough food, a mass of hungry people, hopeless. They were challenged in this moment to remember who Jesus is and believe Jesus is all they need. I confess I am often fixed on my circumstances and forget who Jesus really is and the truth that in Christ alone I have everything I need. I look at choices and patterns and relationships with family members and those I love that bring me to this place. Will I choose to lose hope or to remember what I know about my Savior who rescued me from my choices and patterns? Please, Lord, help me to see these opportunities to trust you in each day and lift my eyes to see you, Lord. Jesus, Continues patiently as he leads the disciples blinded by circumstances and practicality. He asks them, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they reply. Jesus speaks with authority and asks the crowd to recline as in a position to receive a banquet. This isn't going to be a drive through experience, but a real meal. Sinclair Ferguson reminds us this is a foreshadowing of the gathering of every nation and every people under heaven to a feeding from heaven. He also suggests it may instruct us concerning the feeding of God's people in the church today. Jesus came to break down the barriers that separate us from him and from one another. This is encouraging for us right now as we long for this too. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus uses the offering of a child. But in this case, he goes to the disciples and asks them to share their resources. They need to trust him. They surrender their bread and then their fish to Jesus. He is leading them. He is teaching them. Love can be inconvenient and costly. They will need to trust him. Jesus sees their need too and continues to prompt them toward himself. Mark tells us the crowd ate and all were satisfied. This jumps out at me. Satisfied? Content? Oh, do I even know the meaning of this word? Jesus' ministry will continue to lead us toward a deeper understanding as he reminds us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be completely satisfied. This is our hope as members of his kingdom. After three long days of teaching, the Pharisees were waiting, and they came to argue with Jesus. The crowd had come to listen and even reclined in a position to receive. But the Pharisees came with arguments and demands to test him. They are demanding a sign. From heaven. Show me. This demand reveals their arrogance. They are blinded by their desire for power and authority. They choose not to see. There will be no sign given. We have seen miracles show the power of God in the context of mercy, to those coming in faith, they are not displays of power provided to convince the hardened heart. As I consider these two accounts, I am challenged to ask myself, how do I come to Jesus? What can I learn from the crowd who left behind their daily activities? listened, and even trusted as they took a physical position of laying on the ground to receive a miraculous meal in a desolate place? When is my approach more like the Pharisees demanding, testing, requiring Jesus to show himself to be the Messiah I desire, the one who acts as I require, delivering my outcome on my time schedule. Jesus' own words encourage us as he invites us, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. David, in Psalm 51, reminds us that the sacrifice acceptable to God as we come is that of a broken and contrite spirit. And Jeremiah encourages us, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. Lord, would you lead me from the blinding need to be validated in my ways to a position of humility and faith that I might see you and trust you. Mark continues this fast-paced account for us as we return to the boat with Jesus and the disciples. We join a conversation about bread that's taking place on two different levels, the physical and the spiritual. There's an obvious disconnect as Jesus is addressing the disciples' hearts And they seem concerned with their stomachs or perhaps consumed with their failure to plan. Is it a matter of pride or of faith? The disciples have not planned for the trip and they have only one loaf of bread. As they discuss this, Jesus cautions them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Leaven refers to a small amount of dough left over from the previous week's batch. It is mixed in and causes the bread to rise. The metaphor used throughout scripture in various ways, but here it reminds us of the permeating power of sin in our lives. We wonder, what is the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees? Commentators suggest it is their blindness to Jesus' identity and opposition to the kingdom of God. Leonardo Desherko of Ligonier Ministries reminds us that they seek self-affirmation of their power and control from the Messiah King rather than self-denial, self-affirmation of rather than self-denial in following Jesus. This corrupts their hearts. Matthew's account of this event, in Matthew 16, names the leaven of unbelief. Mark himself does not identify the leaven for us, perhaps challenging us to ask the Lord for eyes to see and ears to hear. The disciples continue to argue, perhaps revealing a little pride in blaming one another or embarrassment in their lack of planning and provision. Jesus reminds them they are vulnerable to the leaven of spiritual blindness. They are looking at their circumstances again and their personal failings and agendas and being blinded to the things of his kingdom. Again, I am challenged I can be consumed by my need to look like I can handle life and be defensive in my failings. How are these things blinding me to what Jesus wants to teach me, hardening my heart to him and his kingdom? Am I preparing to play a role in my kingdom or his? Jesus speaks to them. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see and having ears you do not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000? How many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus' heart is engaged in compassion for them. We are tempted to roll our eyes to judge them, to think how repetitive their failings seem to us. But Jesus is a skillful teacher. He asks questions that help them to focus. He is leading them from their blindness to the light. He reminds them of what they have seen and what they know is truth. As they together recount in a question and answer format, the miraculous feedings of the 5,000 and then the 4,000. He is pointing them step by step to the abundant provision and leftovers they physically gathered in their arms and ultimately to the truth of who he is. The psalmist and Old Testament prophets often recount God's faithfulness and remind us of the need to narrate these truths from one generation to another. This is a discipline that familiarizes us with the truth of who God is and prepares us to recognize his work in our lives. This practice ultimately develops our faith. Jesus sees their concern with the mundane when the eternal is present with them. He is with them, but they are in danger of not seeing him. This is a real danger, and he knows it. He refocuses them by calling them to a greater level of faith, establishing a habit that recalls the faithfulness of the past and trusts him with the future. He is anticipating their need for the days that lie ahead. We have seen these men struggle throughout Mark's account. But here, we are given hope they will not remain blinded in two little words of Jesus. Not yet. Not yet. These are precious words to a teacher and to a mother. They remind us to keep teaching until the learner secures the skill or understanding. There is much ahead of them. And Jesus will continue to bring them along and to instruct them. R.C. full? Referred to this next account as tender grace, as it provides a beautiful account of a miraculous physical healing with a clear parallel as a parable of spiritual renewal. Jesus and the disciples arrive in Bethsaida, and the people bring a blind man to Jesus and beg him to touch him. This is not a new scenario, but Jesus' response is always unique to the individual, and to their need. He takes the man by the hand. He is leading a blind man gently to a place outside the village, a place of privacy and intimacy. This is not a spectacle. This is a relational experience. Jesus used spittle to touch his eyes and ask him, Do you see anything? I see people walking, but they look like trees walking. Jesus laid his hands upon his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. This is a miracle, as a blind man is gently given complete sight. His sight is emphasized here by two words for eyes, five verbs for seeing, and two more verbs referring to the restoration of sight. The two-stage healing is not thought to show a limitation of Jesus' ability to heal, but rather commentators agree it provides an illustration for the gradual illumination to the identity of Christ. If this is so, Sproul believes that it is pointing to Peter's myopic understanding of Jesus' messiahship, which will only be fully comprehended after the resurrection. Thus, we are reminded that it is truly an act of his tender grace that allows us to see the kingdom of God. This miraculous healing is certainly worthy of a celebration, but Jesus instructs him to go home and not even to enter the village or tell anyone there. We have seen this warning before, from Jesus to the leper, to those around Jairus's daughter when he raised her from the dead, and again to the deaf man who had trouble speaking. Why hide such good news? This is a mystery, but we can go to scripture. Jesus, in the next chapters of Mark, will show Jesus on the way to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. His mission and such a narrative I'm sorry. Let me let me just go back for a minute. I apologize. Mark's next chapter showed Jesus on the way to Jerusalem to suffer and die. He is on a mission and such a narrative can distract and mislead his followers. There's are those already who expect him to take the physical throne and rule with great political power. Spreading the news of his miracle can fuel an inaccurate view of God's Messiah and his kingdom. Jesus is patient and meticulous to make clear to us his ways, his purposes, and to save us from our inaccuracies, half-truths, and assumptions. He knows we see dimly as if in a blurred mirror. I have loved watching him throughout these encounters in Mark as he takes clarifying, intimate moments to make sure that a miraculous act of healing is not misunderstood to the woman who touched his garment. He takes time to engage her and instruct her, saying, it is your faith that has healed you. He's not a Joseph, a Moses, a David, who's been given a vision of their mission and is impulsive in its accomplishment. He is the Messiah. Come to earth to suffer and die. And the physical and spiritual movement toward his place is to be in God's timing. The fulfillment of God's plan will not be distracted, interrupted, retarded or rushed by the expectations and the agendas of the masses. The climax of this act in Mark's gospel takes place as they travel to Caesarea Philippi. It is an intimate conversation between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus asks two questions. I think it is important to consider them together because I think we see the teacher again, clarifying their understanding and leading them toward a greater understanding. First, who do people say that I am? Mark has been showing us the answer as he began with God's identification of Jesus as the Son of God. Mark reminds us the demons recognize him as the Holy One of God, The people are astonished by the miracles. Herod wonders if he might be a reincarnated John the Baptist. And finally, the disciples wonder, who is this that the wind and sea obey him? So what do they say? Mark records, some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. These are complementary comparisons, but reveal the limited understanding and perspective of the people. The desire for a politically powerful Messiah is once again revealed. Jesus probes their hearts further with his second question. Who do you say that I am? Peter answers, you are the Christ the Messiah. I love this questioning. There are many ideas about who Jesus of Nazareth is and who the Messiah is or should be. He is taking time to clarify for them the reality that people will say different things about who I am. But you are the chosen ones My chosen ones who have seen with your own eyes and heard with your own ears. Now I am asking you to proclaim it. Tell me who you think I am. You know who I am and you will need to continue to remind yourself of who I am. We too in our lives, often need to clarify who he is. So I ask myself and each of you the same, who do you say I am? Let's pray. Lord, we are awed to consider that you come toward us in compassion and are willing to look upon our need and anticipate our challenges. We are humbled as we recognize your tender grace in our own lives, as you have revealed yourself to us, bringing your light into our darkness. Lord, we acknowledge that you are all we need, and in you there is satisfaction and more. Thank you for humbling yourself to come to earth and walk among us that we might know you. Lord, open our eyes to see you. Teach us to encourage one another to turn our eyes upon Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.